0: Well, I am so, so thrilled to be a part of a church that is growing and God is doing great things and we're able to join in on the mission of what is taking place. And. Um as we're getting situated this morning, I'd also like to say hello to those who are watching online. And here's why. Uh, because we know that people are going to check us out online before they ever come to Graceland. So, hey, I look forward to meeting you in person and we do as well. We can't wait for that visit. And I'd also like to start out by saying this and admitting that I love sleep. How many of you love sleep? Would you raise your hand up? Wow. Sleep gets a hand. That's huge. Uh, we love sleep. I get about uh, four to six hours of sleep a night. I don't get a lot. Uh, I, I operate on little sleep, but every minute I get, I love that sleep. And just, just this last week, I woke up at 2 a.m. in the morning with just a big problem in the front of my mind. And it like hit me hard and it hit me big and I couldn't sleep the rest of my my night. And it took up all this time and space and it, it was this huge burden. And it was like this just big big letters flashing in the back of the recesses of my mind saying, problem, problem, problem. And I couldn't go back to sleep. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but when you experience this, like this is all you see. And I would venture to say all of us in this room have faced a problem, been awoken in the middle of the night and experienced something where you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're experiencing a problem right now where it's financial. Maybe you're ex- experiencing a problem right now where it's relational or there's a stress. Maybe your basement flooded, your garage, and right now you're thinking, how am I going to get that water out of the basement or, or whatever the case is? Maybe it's, it's a, a strain in a, in a marriage. Maybe it's a, a, a health situation that you don't know how you're going to recover from. I don't know what it is, but it's a problem. And it's in these big situations when we wake up in the middle of the night and we face them, it begins to just feel like that we are no match for them. And then it seems like that God is no match for them. In fact, not just that God is no match for them, but then God just seems really, really small. Like little God, big problem, right? Maybe you feel like the lion tamer. He wrote uh, an article in the classified. He said, lion tamer seeks or lion, <laughs> and you feel that way. Well, if that's the way you feel this morning, I'm excited about sharing what I'm going to share. Here's what I want you to understand, that our problems, they thrive when God's small. When God's small, our problems, they run rampant. Turn in Ephesians chapter 3. We've been in this book the book of Ephesians, in this preaching series called The Invisible War. And Paul, he's writing this letter to Ephesus. It's a circular letter aimed for Asia. He writes from prison, and he writes this because he's just endured his greatest uh, battles and seen his greatest breakthroughs. And Ephesians is the greatest letter ever written on spiritual warfare we're calling The Invisible War ever seen. And he wants the Ephesians to know something. He wants them to know, hey, look, you can see victory and breakthrough in your life. And he's distributing this all throughout the churches in the area. And he builds this letter chapter by chapter by chapter. And we've been walking through it to where we get to the pinnacle in chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. We're going to put it on the screen for you. And let's just read it all out together. Ready? Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Now, why is this critical? Because we fight battles too. Circle the phrase stand. Stand. And then circle the phrase heavenly realms. In fact, circle that whole entire two verses in your Bible or or highlight it on your smartphone. Here's the deal. There are these heavenly realms. And we talked about this in chapter one. Real quickly, we're going to put a chart up on the screen for you. There's the earth. We're on the earth. And then there's the heavens where where the rain came from. And then there's the heavenly realms. And we coexist in the heavenly realms and on the earth. Right now there's this invisible heavenly realms. And this is where the battle is taking place. And then there's the third heaven where God is. And we learn in chapter one that God is seated far above, that everything is under his feet. And we learn in chapter two that we have a great salvation. And so much so of a great salvation that we have so much for us that we have not even yet discovered that we could spend the rest of our life discovering what we have in Christ and the, blood, the power that is in the blood. And Paul gets to chapter three and he's gonna, read, he's gonna pray to the readers and he's going to pray, and then he interrupts himself. The grammatical context suggests that he, he literally was midstream. And wait a minute, before I'm going to pray, i got to remind them. When I teach my girls something new, when I teach them a principle, it's not like I'm like, hey, don't play in the street, and I never tell them again. No, no, I go back to that, don't I? Hey, don't play in the street. Hey, don't go play in the street. And this is what Paul is doing. So chapter 3, he's reiterating something. And if you want to just... Just foundationally summarize chapter 3 in your Bible, in your listening guide. Here it is, three words, don't limit God. All right, say it with me. Don't limit God. That's right. The battle may be fierce. The evidence may be overwhelming. Let me me tell you, don't limit God. Now, let me just tell you this. Hear me on this. When you major on your problems, you minor on God. I mean, this is majoring on your problems and minoring on God. But when you major on God, let me tell you, friends, you minor on your problems. If you, might, if you major on your problems, the invisible war is going to kick you in the teeth and it's going to drop you to your knees in defeat. And so today, what I want to talk about is how we limit him. How we limit him. And there's a few ways, I believe, that Paul, out of chapter 3, talks about and shares with us how we limit God. So we're going to discover this. There's three limitations I think we place on God as we walk through chapter 3 in Ephesians. Let's look at verse 1 together. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now being revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. We're going to stop right there. Now, if you were following along, first of all, just circle the phrase for this reason. Now, Paul's connecting to what he said previously in chapter 2, and he's talking about how great a salvation that we have. I give you a million dollars, you put it in the bank, you never take it out. That is a shame. Wouldn't you agree? Right. In the same way, this is the same who we have in Christ. There's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of this power and because of this great salvation, Paul, he calls himself, look at it with me, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's sitting in jail, but it's not his shackles that binds him. No, 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 no. He is under the control of the controller of the universe. There is no doubt about it. Who is controlling Paul? I I was uh, with a bunch of uh, professional athletes recently, and uh, one of them is a, a friend of mine. And he was telling me this story about when he played in the major leagues. He's now retired. He played for a number of years in the major league baseball. And he talked about this one time where his career, he was hot. He could not, I mean, he he was batting out of this world numbers, and he was playing with a bunch of Hall of Famers. He gets up to the majors, and he meets the batting coach in the bullpen, and the batting coach has this conversation with my friend. He says this, he says, hey, I've heard that you're on a hitting streak. Heard you're pretty hot. Your bat's good. And my buddy says, yeah, well, actually, yeah, I am. And he said, I've also heard that you're this Jesus freak. I've heard you're like this Christian that prays all the time and all this stuff. And then the coach says to my friend, look, as long as you keep that down, we're going to be okay. We'll be good. And my friend says back to him, well, if you're talking about my choice between choosing baseball or my Lord, Jesus wins every time. Who controls you? Who pulls your strings? Who tells you what to do? For Paul, it's evident. And where does this control take Paul? Well, look at it with me. He says, for the sake of you Gentiles. You see, he is controlled by God. Therefore, he is then going to those who have not heard of the gospel. He references this in the mystery he said made known to me. Now, what's this mystery? Well, this mystery is something that's quite incredible. You see, the prophets and the leaders of of the Jewish people in this culture, they didn't have a window to the entire the totality of Christ. They didn't understand and see. They didn't have the Bible like you and I have it today. They're just kind of trying to figure this thing out. And they treated the Gentiles and considered them dogs. Not like your cute little dog at home waiting for you when you get home. That's not what I'm talking about. These dogs, okay, were the ones that rummaged in the trash. They had rabies. They were dirty. They were smelly. They had lice. They, you didn't want to be near these dogs. And they equated the Gentiles, those who were not Jews, the outsiders to these kinds of dogs. And, but Paul is saying, look, the outsiders, the dogs, now they're co-heirs with Christ. And that's a big deal. This is revolutionary to his audience. They had limited God. They had limited who he wanted to reach. They had limited who he loved. And Paul says, no, 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 no. The riches of my inheritance are for these people as well. And this is a big deal. And here's why. The outsiders are now considered insiders. Okay, that's a good thing. And the victims are now victors in Jesus Christ. And it's right here, I think we see the first limitation we place on God. You can write in your listening guide this, that we limit the love of God and who he wants to reach. Do We limit the love of God and who he wants to reach. We know the verse, many of us, for God so loved the, fill in the blank. Yeah, hello. But we limit the gospel. We don't do it maybe even thinking, but we do it maybe just by our actions. We, like the Ephesians, we limit who God loves and who he wants to reach on a consistent basis, anyone who doesn't look like us, anyone who doesn't dress like us, anyone who doesn't uh, uh, kind of in our sphere of influence, anyone who is poorer than us or richer than us or anyone who is older than us or younger than us or isn't just like us or from around here, well then you know what? We limit God and we by our actions don't understand his love and who he wants to reach I mean we teach this song to our kids all the time right Uh, Jesus loves the little children all the children of the world red and yellow black and white they are precious in his yeah yeah good two for two it's a good day yeah And what he sees, he sees those who are far from God. It gets me a little excited because this is a heartbeat of God. And on this day, when we're talking about joining in the mission, how critical is it that we get rid of the limitations of who God wants to love, who God wants to reach, and who and how he wants to do that? But we lose sight of his love. I mean, we really, really, really do. I was in a conference this last week in Dallas, Texas, over the weekend. I really missed being here with this church And it sounds like you had a great day. We had almost like record attendance. I should be gone more often, I guess. I don't know. I'm not taking it personally, okay? I was away, and my plane was delayed. And I'm sitting there in the terminal, kind of a little bit upset, and I'm sitting there trying to do some work, and I get this whiff of a, a poopy diaper. I'm like, where is that coming from? And I look over and here comes this little one-year-old toddler just walking like a beeline for me. I'm like, oh, he's so cute. And then I got a whiff again. I'm like, that's the culprit right there. And he comes and he, he comes like right next to my leg where I'm, where I'm sitting. And he just stares at me. He's got a ball. And I just couldn't help but, Hey, buddy, how are you doing? And I'm a stranger, you know, so he doesn't really get much closer. And but the But the odor is overwhelming. And I'm thinking... Someone's got to change this kid's diaper. Like, where are his parents? And and then I had this flashback to changing my own daughter's diapers and you know doing the whole, oh my goodness, what. Give me another wipe, you know, and, and having to change those diapers. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't know if I can pick up this kid right now because of his smell. And then his mom's not too far away. She calls him back over. The kid's name is Noah. Come here, come here Noah. He runs up into her arms. He, he, she grabs him, holds him tight, pats his bottom. I'm like, don't pat that area. That's gross. She doesn't care. She loves on him. And I was just reminded I was reminded that that God in his infinite love for us, even when we make a mess, even when we are so filthy in our sin and our brokenness, even when he knows all of our sins, even past where we are today, he loves us and he says, I love you so much. Come like a prodigal son. The father welcomes us home. He loves us this much. And it's this kind of love that we should limit for all of those around the world. We don't even know all of the people's story and we don't even know our own story. And yet he says, incomplete totality. I have loved you and I have recompensed for all of your sins. This kind of love, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. So who does he love? He loves those in your neighborhood. He loves those in southern Indiana. He loves those in Kentuckiana. He loves those in our nation. He loves those in all the nations of the world. He says it to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, their neighbors, okay? And then the region in Judea. And then he says to the ends of the earth. In the Greek, that literally means the places they had never been before. Who does he want you to love? He wants you to love your enemies. Luke chapter 6. He wants you to love your enemies. The greatest opportunity for someone to be loved are those that you don't love. My mom used to say, you don't have to like anybody, Ray, but you got to love everybody. (laughs) She was right. Mom was always right. Who does God want you to love? Your neighbor. Who does God want you to love? Your coworker. Who does God want you to love? Those who are not in this state and those who are around the world. There are opportunities. So Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Okay. First of all, you need to invite people experience Easter. What a great opportunity to show and share the love of Christ. Okay? I want to challenge you to do that. Second of all, I want to challenge you, would you prayerfully think about going on a mission trip? Go out to the lobby afterwards, check out all of those individuals and what God's doing. And prayerfully think about your step in that. And then Paul continues. Look at with me in verse 8. He says, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Verse 10, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities and the heavenly realms. There's that again. That's key. Verse 11, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, or through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now circle the phrase with me, I am the least of these. Look, Paul's saying there's nothing special about me. There's nothing. And then he says, grace given to me. It was because of the grace given to Paul that makes him what he is. And I love this. You see, grace builds the church. See, you are indebted by grace, and then you are deployed by grace. You see, victims become victors when you understand and walk in the grace and mercy and power of Jesus Christ and your life. And Paul makes it very, very clear right here in what we just read. It's unlikely that someone like himself could ever be used by God. And there we have, I believe, the second limitation that we put on God. We limit the likelihood of who God wants to use. We limit the likelihood of who God wants to use. Who does God want to use? Well, he used a loudmouth to start his movement called Peter. He used a murderer, an adulterer, to augment his kingdom named David. Hear me now. The potter uses cracked pots. You a cracked pot? Yes, you are. Am I a cracked pot? More than you. I feel the pain of Paul. He makes it very clear. He says, I am less than the least of all saints in verse 8. The name Paul, here's a really cool little fun fact. The name Paul in the Latin, it means, guess what it means? It doesn't mean big. It doesn't mean educated. It means little bitty, small. And I think maybe he bore that name just so that everyone would understand and know very clearly, look, I am nothing special. Don't limit who God wants to use. He told Timothy, look, I am the chief of all sinners. Don't limit who God wants to use. <laughs> but you're saying, you don't know how jacked up I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know that I'm the most boring person in the world. You don't know that I'm introverted. You don't know that I can't shut my mouth. You don't know that I, 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 don't, I don't even know if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't know where, I, 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 I don't know. There's no way, there's no way, there's no way. You're limiting who God can use. You're limiting. Now, there's an illustration I want to share with you. And it's by way of a pizza box. This pizza box is empty. Let's just say, let's just say this evening, you you call a pizza place and you have a an extra large dripping hot cheese flowing out of it pizza delivered to your house. You go to the door, and there the pizza person is holding your pie in the air. There's no box. He's just holding the pizza. And there's like cheese dribbling down his arm. And you're like, "Where?" you know, you're thinking, where's the box? And and, and you're you're like thinking, I don't know where that hand has been. You know what I'm saying? And you're grossed out, and everything's going on. And the first question out of your mouth is going to be, well, where's the box? Where's the box? And it's not that the box is special. It's not that the box is anything really special. Uh, interesting. It's only probably worth less than 50 cents, but the value of the box is what it contains. Do you hear me? Listen, Listen, this is why I'm saying this. Look, you don't have to be good looking. You don't have to be old. You don't have to be young. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have it all pulled together. The only thing you have to do to be used of God is to be clean and empty, and God will do the rest in your life. great example of this. Her name is Marie Monson. She, she is a, uh, a, a person that felt called. She goes to Shantung, China. She goes to Shantung, China. She's a female. Uh, many, many, many years ago she wasn't anything special. She wasn't anything great, but she was clean and she was empty. And God used her to spark a revival and thousands and thousands and thousands of people were saved because of this woman. And today she is, her name is still spoken because she was clean and empty. This is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to hear today. That from past, we know this, that it starts with one person who is clean and empty before God and God can do something great in their life. It doesn't matter how young you are. Evan Roberts was 13. Uh, uh, George Whitfield, he was 22. It doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, think about Abraham. Here's the thing. God wants to use You. He wants to use you. And if you'll come empty and you'll come clean before him, friend, he is willing to take you places where you've never been before. Don't limit who God wants to use. And then Paul, in verse 14 and following, he begins his prayer. He finally gets to the point where he begins to pray for his churches. And uh, we're gonna get to that in 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 a minute, but I want you to skip down to verse 20. He's still praying. And he says this now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. This is the third limitation I believe that we place on God. This is it that we limit what God can do. We limit what God can do. We see, we we looked at, we limit who God loves and he wants to reach. We limit who he can use, but we limit what God can do. Well, why do we limit what God can do? Why do we do this? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons, and maybe you can relate to these. I can certainly. First of all, the world teaches us no. They lead with no. If it's not by sight, if it's not, you can smell it, feel it, touch it. Well, there's no way. No, that is not the case. We, we limit what he can do because we've gotten familiar. We look at things around us and we've gotten familiar to that obstacle. We've gotten familiar to that issue in our marriage. We've gotten familiar to the thing around us and we just don't realize and understand what he can do in our life. We get familiar with the fact that our church for so many years was, was really declining. And, and you know what? We limit what God can do. You know he could bring revival through this church? You know that we can see the doors explode in this church. We limit what God can do. We can invite 30,000 people for, for Easter. We limit what God can do through us. He can send people on mission trips. We limit him all of the time. So what's the cure? What's the cure to limiting, for limiting God? Well, it's just one word. You take our unbelief and you turn it to faith. Faith. And Paul says it right here. He says, now to him... Who is able? That he's able. Highlight that. That he's able. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's able. Yeah. I mean, is it possible that this last week that you were talking to somebody and somebody was telling them, telling you something that was overwhelmed in your life and maybe just maybe your language wasn't all around that phrase, he's able? Could we be a church that in our messaging and in our life that that's like, on the tip of our tongue. Brian, could we do that? Could we be the kind of church that says, well, he's able. He's able. The, the, the very first thing that comes out of my he is able. Let's be a church that believes that. Chapter 27 in Jeremiah, the prophet. God comes to the prophet Jeremiah and he says, hey, Jeremiah, this area is going to be overtaken. Judah is going to be overtaken. I want you to go buy this field. Huh? Now, look, I'm not a real estate guru, Okay. But you don't take a field over right before it's going to be all overrun by enemies. That doesn't make any sense. But God wanted Jeremiah to know, did you ever think, Jeremiah, that I'm going to bring you back out of captivity? Did it ever cross your mind? Verse 27, he says this, is there anything? (laughs) He says, is there anything too difficult for me? He's able. He is able. I was playing baseball against our rival, And uh, our rival was better than us, but we were on a hot streak on our baseball team, but we were gonna face the best pitcher they had, the best pitcher in our state in Ohio growing up. And he was a flamethrower and he had control of the ball. And I remember it was gonna be a defensive battle. We knew it was gonna be like, if we were gonna win, it was gonna be like one to zero type of game. He had thrown no hitters that year. And so we knew we were facing somebody uh, pretty strong and we feel like we had a good chance. And then we realized that the catcher that we had been facing for a long time, guess what? Well, that catcher wasn't going to be at the game. And we start freaking out because he is the one who was going to help push us over the edge. In the same way, he's the only one. God is the only one in the universe who's able. He's the only one in the universe who is going to take us from here to there. Don't limit God. Our problems, our battles, look friends, they may be big in our eyes, but it's time that we stop limiting God. It's big God, small problem. Not big problem, small God. And then Paul says to do immeasurably more. Well, what does that mean? Immeasurably more than what? Well, immeasurably more than than you can. I can turn to your neighbor and say, "Well, more than I can, yeah." And and, and then also in, in collective manner. He's immeasurably able to do more than we can. Let's just say all that together. Immeasurably more than, than, more than we can. Say that with me. More than we can. Yeah, that's right. I mean, how many of us, how many of us show of hands right now in this place have come to a place in your life where you were overwhelmed? You were at the end of your rope. Maybe it was last night. Maybe it was last decade where you were like, I can't do it on my own. Show of hands. How many of you have ever been in that moment? You're like, all of us here today. But he's able to do immeasurably more, more than you can. About a year ago, in the life of this church, we had an event, and there was hundreds, maybe thousands of people on our, on our, at our event, and uh, I'm walking around talking to people, and and, and there's this family that's serving this, at this event. They're serving all together, and they've been serving for a long time at this event. And so I go up to them, and I just want to say, hey, I just thank you so much for serving. I, I just love it. You just exemplify all that is what our church is about. And I go up to them, and I introduce myself to them, and I say, hey, how long have you been going to this church? Like, like a year or maybe six months? And I'm so grateful. And they say, with all the grace and love in their heart, they say, well, well Ray, we've been going here for 30 years like oh my i felt i just i hate myself i just wanted to crawl into a hole you know i felt so bad and i apologized all over myself I was, oh my goodness i'm so sorry oh People think though that we can do more than we really can. You think you can do more than you really can. You think I can do more than I really can. I can't visit everyone in the hospital. I can't talk to every single person here in our church. I can't do a lot of things because I'm only one person. I mean, I can't even know everyone's names. I wish I did, but I can't. I mean, my memory stops at like 12, okay? And that, and past that, it's just it's maybe just a uh, you know it's a blessing if I can remember a name. But the point of the matter is this, that like it takes a lot of people to do what Graceland is doing. All the leaders, all the staff members, can you give them a hand for all that they're doing? Yeah, all you leaders, all you staff, thank you. But here's the the point. But God is able to do even the stuff that we don't see he's doing. He's doing it. I mean, he is able immeasurably more. He's the one person that is unlimited. And when we see all these things happening, like, like Florida, this, this school shooting, and it just makes us go, really? Really? And then this flood? Really? What's going on? Right? God's, we, God, are you hearing this? Are you in charge of this? Do you know what's going on? you see what's happening in my family's life right now? Let, let me tell you, friend, I heard this this last week, and I love this. God is ruling the universe with his feet up. He's not overwhelmed. He's not perplexed. He's not going, oh, I get a plug, a bunch of holes. He's got his feet up because he's above all. He's seated above all. Chapter 1 of Ephesians. He is unlimited, and we should not limit him. If you agree with me, would you just say amen? amen? Would you all stand to your feet together? And I want to read to you, I want to read to you the last few words Of the Apostle Paul's prayer. The Apostle Paul says this. To him be the glory in the church. That's us. That's you. That's me. We're the church. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. The young, the old. And then he says forever and ever. Here's a thought that will blow your mind. You could think about this the rest of your life. That God is not in the past and he's not in the future. He's in everything. That's who God is. That's who God is. And so he's in every moment and he's in this moment now. And what I want to do in just a moment is I want to pray the prayer over you that Paul prayed to those Ephesians. But before I do, what I want to ask you is, is this a moment now that you would step from unbelief to faith and you would take the limits, the constraints off of God and all that he is and can do? It's a journey you'll never stop. It's a journey that you'll always be on. But today, would you say, I believe and I have faith in you, God.